Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This TV show come about and I was thinking, you know what, um, what's the worst that can happen? How would you describe the show? First and foremost, the show is a game. When you put money at the end of a show, it's a game. It's all about finding love. And it's all about coupling up and trying to be the most compatible you can be. Growing up with a dad who was black, I, I growing up, I definitely felt differences to what my friends were experiencing in especially football um, with their parents just being white. To the followers, Jack's okay. He's cool. He's doing normal stuff. But the reality of it was that I was very ill. At this point, I don't know if I'm going to have these brand deals again. I've got no legs to walk on. So I'm having to pull up a facade of I'm okay. We're having a great time over here. I'm posting up here, there, bottles and looking great, modeling and gym. And, but yeah, the reality was I was in bed, no legs. I am on morphine, codeine, cocodamol, paracetamol, anti-sickness, everything. And my pain receptors in my brain are on. Welcome to Second Chance Podcast. I'm Raphael Rowe, your host. This podcast focuses on the theme of Second Chance, exploring who deserves it, who has the authority to grant it, and what it means. We speak with people from diverse backgrounds, including those who have been given a second chance and those who some might argue don't deserve them. In this episode, Jack Fowler opens up about racism, Love Island, and overcoming adversity. He spoke candidly about his life experiences. Despite having a white mother and a black father, Jack is often perceived as white, which has led him witnessing firsthand the racism that still exists in our society. He shares how he's been affected by these experiences and his determination to use his platform to speak out against racism. Jack also discusses his decision to leave his promising football career behind to become a TV personality and reality star on Love Island. While the show was a competitive game, Jack reveals the challenges he faced with the pressure of fame and the demand to present a happy persona on social media 
even when he was dealing with personal struggles, including a serious illness that had him hospitalised for months. Jack, thanks for coming in. Ralph, thanks for having me. It's so nice to meet you after so long. I'm kind of following little things that you're doing in the music industry, mm. but, but your career started long before that. You've talked about who you are, what you do, the reality shows, mm. but how would you describe Jack Fowler? Who is Jack Fowler? You know, forget all the reality programs, forget all the stuff you do to earn a living, mm. forget the persona. Who is Jack Fowler? How would you describe yourself? Um, I think there's a lot of layers to me. Uh, some I think have developed over time. I think some layers I've always had. And by layers, I mean different aspects of my life that have definitely built me to where I am today. Um, but overall, I think I'm, I'm, I'm quite focused. I think I'm quite a family orientated person, which is uh, something I think my upbringing definitely had a, a part to play in. That's really interesting. And, and it's so articulate that you say you have layers to who you are. Where did it all start then? Where are you from? East London, born and raised. Um, and for those who don't know, East London in England. England, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a place that I, I would never change my upbringing from. Um, there were so many different parts of East London at, when I was growing up, which was good to go to, safe to go to. And then there was parts that as a, as a parent and as a son of a mum and dad who have definitely had two different types of upbringing. My dad having a more complex upbringing and my mum probably having a more chilled upbringing. Um, there was definitely parts of East London that I was told not to go to just because it's probably not the best place to get caught if you're mixing with the wrong people. So that kind of upbringing definitely molded me into the man that I am today. So being grounded by your, your parents is one thing, but how did you perform going to school? Did you enjoy going to school? What kind of kid was you? Do you have any siblings? Yep, got an older brother. Uh, Michael is four years above me. And me and Michael are very different, I think, when it comes to school. And uh, he was a A-class student, A-star, went to university, studied physics. Very, very bright. Not to say I'm not bright, but I think when I went to secondary school, Michael was year 11 and I would just come into year seven and teachers were like, oh no, like another Fowler, wicked. Was, the you expectations know? Yeah, were. Yeah, another Fowler, great. You know, A-star student, the last one, let's see what this one's like. And I'm, I don't think I was a bad kid at school. I don't think, you know, I, I don't think I was vicious and I, and I wasn't someone who wanted to be a naughty kid. I think I was just very much different to what my brother was. And I think I really thrived on being in front of a camera. I really thrive being on a football pitch. Um, I love my music lessons. I wasn't great at the studying side of things. And I think that is summed up in my PE exam when I got an A star in my practical. And then I think I got a D in my theory. But no, I, I enjoyed school, if I'm honest with you. I, I think my school was um, helpful towards me um, because I think it could have been a lot different if I went to a different type of school, which was only around the corner, which was probably more problematic. And I think, again, for my parents, they were aware of that and they tried their utmost best to put me into this school. But yeah, I come away with decent grades. I, I, I've got some very, very good friends still um, from school, which I think is very important. 
Um, you talk about your kind of sporting prowess and, and your academics were, were slightly different, one for one, right? Equals yeah, out yeah. E e each other. What was your ambition then? Did you have any ambition? I mean, you say you were good in front of the camera. You liked the camera. Mm. You liked to be creative yeah. as well as entertaining. Did you have an ambition? Do you have an ambition at that age? That age, I, I just really wanted to be a footballer. That was that was all I wanted to do. It was something that I trained every day for. I I also enjoyed my in my, my theatre, I enjoyed my singing, my dancing. I, I went into um, like a national youth theatre setup. So football and and acting was was a big part of my life. I would say football more so, and it was something that really focused me, definitely focused me. And uh, you know, there was training in the evenings, so I wasn't out on the street. I was focused. I I was eating right. I was training right in the gym. I was focusing on on you know the Saturday game. I wouldn't go out the Friday night. And especially, I think growing up in in an area that has a lot of problems, you know, if you if you come out the my road growing up, you turn right, it was more of a problem. If you turn left, it was more safe, no, literally. Yeah. So you know, like again, my parents they always told me to turn left, don't turn right. And again, football definitely a focus for me. What what was your parents like then? I mean, it sounds like they they grounded you, they mm. supported you, they tried to kind of steer you in the right directions. Turn left, don't turn right, or turn right, don't turn left. Yeah. Trying to focus on you know, which is you, you know tough in an environment. What 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 did your parents do? If you want to talk about that, what what were they like for you and your brother? Well, mum and dad separated when I was three, and uh, I think up, my upbringing that if I was to sum it up in one word, it was love. And was it split between your mum and your dad? Were you kind of sharing your growing up in each household? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, definitely shared custody. I, 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 I stayed during the week with my mum. And then during the weekends, I'd see my dad every other weekend. And I have to really commend my parents for how they brought me and my brother up because at no point did I feel like I was going without. You know, speaking to my parents now as an adult, it's actually so much more insightful to how my bringing up with, um, my my upbringing was because now I can see it from an older head and at the time I think I was frustrated because you know sometimes I wanted to see my dad and I couldn't because I could see him on the weekends and you know they they were great they were great parents my mum brought me up during the during the week when I was at school so they actually done all the homework side of things mm. my mum was more academic on that side so you know school clubs and boys brigade and tennis and football and karate and boxing I did it all because I needed a focus and my mom was worried for me you know because she thought you know he has got the, in the ability to maybe come off a little bit and go down the wrong route um, and then my dad was always there always took me to football always took me to swimming but I feel like my dad really had a big impact in my life when I started to become an adult and that's because adulting is hard especially as a young man, my, my, my dad is black and he, he growing up in East London was a lot more different to what my mum would have experienced being a white Cockney girl from East London. So his upbringing definitely molded mine for his parenting. And is that because he shared what his experiences was like as a black man living in East London or just simply as a man living in East London? Probably both. I think definitely both. I think growing up, with a dad who was black, I, I growing up, I definitely felt differences to what my friends were experiencing in, especially football, um, with their parents just being white. And what do you mean by that? Well, not there was conversations happening in changing rooms, and I visually would pass as a white man, and I'm aware I, I get that. I've always experienced that in my life, and it's only when I say, "Oh, my dad's black," people are like, "Oh, what? 
That's, that's my son's the same. You, yeah. you are almost a carbon copy of my yeah. son. And, and he's told me the same things that, he, you know, he's only 18, so he's going mm. through university now. Mm. But in his early years, he would come home and sort of say to me, people don't know, Dad, that you're black or that, mm. you know, you're a man of color kind of thing mm. because some of my mates are talking to me in a kind of racist way. And I suspect that's what yeah. you, you experience. You know, he's got blue eyes, fair hair, mm. and very white skin. And no one ever perceives... He's very proud of his culture, but I suspect you were and are too. Absolutely. Experienced the same. Yeah. Just going back to the football changing rooms, you know, it was, it was comments like, you know, we haven't got many black boys in our team because they're late or although they're very fast. And I'm, I'm, I'm taking this information in and I'm young, you know, I'm, I'm young. I don't really know what racism is at this age. And, you know, it, I, I'll never forget they had that discussion. And then my dad come and picked me up from football. And I was kind of new to this team at this point. And uh, the managers just see a black man walk towards the footballers, the, you know, the young boys, and they're looking at each other going, who, who, what, black, what dad here is black? And I've gone, dad. And I've, they all just, I've, I'm now I, I look back at it and I actually just think I realize it now, but they was all taken back because I think they realized what they had said and they had realized what they said was wrong, but I didn't realize at the time. So I never really brought it out with my dad. Otherwise my dad would definitely had something to say. Um, but no, my, my dad's upbringing was uh, a lot more complex than mine. And uh, he definitely went through what he th went through to get to where he is. But he's made sure that what he went through, I didn't have to. So yeah, my parent, my, my, my childhood is, is uh, a unique one, I think. It's, it's interesting. It makes me reflect. I mean, when, when I'm, my son played football as well, both for school and for a club, and, and when he was that young, I had dreadlocks. So I can imagine that moment that I turned up to pick him up for the first time. Mm. And people were seeing this dreadlocked guy picking up this little, what looked like a white boy with blue eyes, who's calling me dad. It is a surreal moment. And I know there were often people who looked at him. I recognize that as an adult. He didn't. I'm yeah. just his dad, whether I got dreadlocks or not. So I, I can sort of empathize with that kind of moment that your, your dad went through. How did your football career develop? Because you say you were passionate about football. You know, where did it take you and where did you hope it would take you? I, I hoped it would take me to the very top. And if I didn't have that hope, I wouldn't have carried on as far as I did. I played for numerous semi-pro teams. I um, I loved it. I, I honestly loved training. I loved Saturday at three o'clock was all kicking off. And even till this day, come three o'clock on a Saturday, some of my boys still play football. And I feel lost because... It was such a big part of my life. It was such a big dream of mine. And it took me to a level of, you know, this is, I'm making money. It's not enough money to live off, but I'm making some money. And any money from football is a blessing because there's a lot of people that don't get to that level. Mm, mm. Um, but it, it took me to, it took me to a level where I was happy, but I wasn't, I wasn't, had, I didn't have that feeling of um, complete success because there were boys around me who were better than me, who were picked up from a younger age, regarding if it was academy or under 21 level, and they had the training. And it was very apparent to me that they were getting quicker because they was getting that training. And it was frustrating. But football, you know, I got, I was 21, I think 21, 22. And uh, I was playing at, at Bishop Stortford. I was Conference South, I think that's what it was called at the time. What, what position did you play in? Uh, Center half. And how would you, what, what player would you liken yourself to today? Um, I'd say Ramos, bit of Pepe. Whoa. Aggressive. <laughs> uh, 
Okay. Yeah. Like someone um, asked me the same question, <laughs> and I kind of, I kind of pull skulls and, and kind of <laughs> inst them. You know, kind yeah, of. Yeah. yeah. I was a central midfield player. Mm -hmm. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so as a central midfielder, a, a centre back, you you were hoping to make a career out of football, but yeah. at twenty one, twenty two, it didn't work out. It didn't work out. I um, I got a phone call, and uh, it was it was your chance to go on a on a TV show, and I was like, TV? I don't. I got no. I don't really want to go on TV. I've what, been. What asked do you mean before. you got a telephone call? Where did that come from? So I, I was I was a PT at the time. And um, it was peating and football. That was my life. And um, I got a call. Uh, I, I, sorry, I actually got approached in the gym um, to, to, to do a job. And from that job, I actually then got scouted to, to go on TV. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting a phone call saying, you know, we, we want you to come and, you know, at least try and, and go for the auditions for this TV show. So I'm sitting there thinking, well, you know, TV, I've been asked to do a few things on TV. It, it kind of... I was worried that it kind of would play a bit of, it might steer me away from football and it might get, you know, making a fun out of because I'm on TV and I'm not focusing on my football and stuff like that. So I always wanted to put my football first. But this TV show come about and I was thinking, you know what, um, what's the worst that can happen? You know, I'm 21 now and there's boys in my year group at school who are playing at Arsenal, they're playing at Man United, they're you know, playing for England under 21s and all the rest of it. And I think if I was going to get to that level by now, I would have at least been picked up. So I thought, hell, why not? I'm going to this interview. And uh, I, I got through and I got through to the next round and I got through to the next round. And then next thing I know, I'm walking in to the villa at Love Island. And I'm like, how have I got here? You know, because I used to watch it just because I used to watch it because it was just on TV. And now I'm literally walking through it. And... Um, that experience was once in a lifetime and uh, I'm very thankful for it. It's changed my life completely coming off that show. Many doors closed, actually, funny enough, um, after that show. What, what, what do you mean in, in your career, your life? Yeah. But before we get there, for, for, I'm not a Love Island watcher. Uh -huh. I, I watched last season. In fact, I opened my daughter's bedroom door last night and she was sitting there. I think there's a new season on right? yeah. watching it and all I could see is this. I'm a dad looking at my 15-year-old watching Love Island. Mm. I'm thinking, should I be intervening here? But, you know, look, it's entertainment and it's great entertainment. You say you went through these auditions. You got mm. picked to go on to this phenomenal program. You know, it's successful in many different ways. And I'm really interested to know how it impacted on you as an individual. But but what is the program? I mean, how would you... You've been on it. You've watched mm. it. You've taken part. You've been produced in that show and you've built a career off of the back of that show to some extent. But how would you describe the show as opposed to my daughter sitting there watching this bit of entertainment yeah. from an insider's point of view? It, it's, a, it's a game. First and foremost, the show is a game. When you put money at the end of a show, it's a game. And it's a unique game because it's all about finding love, and it's all about coupling up and trying to be the most compatible you can be. And it's, a, like I said, a very unique show. There's not many shows like it now. And I, I spent the best part of six weeks in a villa, no contact with anything apart from the 10 people in the villa with me. Um, no phone, no internet? No phone. There's phones inside, but they're all internal. So you could text your friend inside the villa. You couldn't text your mum and dad outside the villa. Right, and okay. that was all monetized. Is it still like that today? Has it always been like that? Yeah, to my knowledge, it's always been like that. Okay. I, I probably is the same today. Um, you've got no internet. There's no Instagram. There's no phone call home. There's no newspaper. You don't even know the time. 
There's no clocks. The phone times are changed. The time on the ovens changed in the kitchen. Everything is about the here and now. And I suppose the psychological side of things is you don't want to wait 10 minutes to see how you're feeling in 10 minutes. So they take the time away. They want you to react how you're feeling right there and then because that's probably really raw. And as a producer, I'm guessing that's what you want. You don't want people to think too much about it. You want people just to react on how they're feeling. I, but I was quite aware of that because I'd done bits of acting before. I'd done, you know, theater. So I was aware of what could be out there. I'm also aware it's 24 hours in a day and the show's only one hour. So there's got to be some serious editing going on. And if I'm behaving for 23 hours and for one hour, I lose my sh That's the bit that's going to, that's the bit that's going to go. And you was aware of that when you were in there? Yeah, I was because I knew how big the show was. I, I knew, I knew millions of people watching it. Celebrities that I look up to were watching it. I knew it was something that it was, it was taking over the UK. I think the year before me was a big year. My year in 2018 was the year of the World Cup as well. Mm. So everyone was watching the World Cup and then watching Love Island. It was something that the pubs and the bars were putting on because they wanted to keep the punters in. So you had people who, your, your daughters, they watching it. You had the mums watching it. You had the dads watching it because the mum and the daughters are watching it. Mm -hmm. So you just got everyone, old, young, from all, all walks of life watching it. What were they watching though? I mean, what, 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 from what you describe, and yeah. as I understand it, as a non-watcher, I've watched it, like I say, last season, a couple of episodes because people were saying to me, you've got to watch it. You won't like it at the beginning, mm. but you'll get sucked in. And I can see how you get sucked in. I think the episode I was watching was with, uh, you know, Michael Owen's daughter was in there, which was last season. But but you say you were aware of what was going on and you've done a bit of acting, so you knew how to. So you saying to me that although this is a show where you're supposed to go in and find love, mm -hmm. the boy and the girl are supposed to find love, mm -hmm. you're not really searching for love, you're searching for a career. Because that, I'm, I'm one of those kind of cynics who think this is all acting, this is all, oh, that person's driving me mad because they're trying to be someone they're not. Mm. It's not as authentic as it appears to be to the younger audience, maybe. You yeah. tell me. I mean, how to highlight that would be, you know, a producer, one of the producers said to me in my audition, do you want to go into Love Island? I said, what kind of, of course I want to go into Love Island. You're asking me if I want to be in a hot country, in a big villa, surrounded by fit women. <laughs> Of course I'm going to Love Island. It's not a question. I'm there. It's not going to affect my football because it's during the off season. Mm. So in my, my opinion was, I'll do this with an open mind, experience something that hundreds of thousands of people apply to do every year. I've been selected. I've got the golden ticket. I'm going in there with an open mind. If I find a girl and I fall in love, okay. But if I don't, I will take the experience and grab it with both hands. Was you looking for love when you went in there? I was open-minded. I mean, I wasn't, If I feel like if you fall in love, you fall in love. It could be on a TV show, it could be in real life, it could be in Tesco, it could be anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I, I was a bit skeptical towards it. Yeah, I was a bit like, am I gonna find love in this villa? Mm, maybe, maybe not. But, you know, coming out of the show was where it really got fun because no one can prepare you for that. There's, I don't care what meeting you put up in front of me, what psychologist you put in front of me, what producer, exec, there's nothing you could have prepared me for that. I literally stepped into the villa, Jack from East London, PT footballer, and I was, I come out of that villa and it was, I was being recognized in Vegas. I got recognized in LA. I was recognized in Europe. I had people asking for pictures all over the UK, all over, it was nuts, Thailand. 
Because the streaming platform all these countries have around the world, we're watching it. And I can really see how people lose their mind because you go from little old me, known in my, in my area, to literally around the world. Whether or not you like that or not, it's happening. And I was lucky because I never really had too much drama in there that tainted me as a person. Right. So I come out to a lot of love. And, and I suppose that's important, isn't it? Because Massively. depending on your character in the show mm. and how people, I mean, there's always going to be people who don't like you for different, jealous of your body, jealous of your yeah. looks, jealous of your personality. Yeah. Equally, there's going to be lots of people who admire your body, your looks, your personality and character and strength of character or just the way you conduct yourself mm -hmm. in these places. And that will dictate how, like you say, the, the fans or the audience yeah. outside of the show react. And yours sounds like it was a positive re reaction. But can you... Can you just reflect on what you feel you were like in the show? For people who watch the Jack mm. Fowler and only know Jack Fowler from your performance, your your character in the show, was that you? Yeah. I mean, you, you'd have to be hard-pressed to act 24 hours, seven right. days a week. I mean, the cameras are on you all the time. You, you sleep, the cameras are on. You get up in the night and you go to the toilet, the cameras are on. There's no getting away from that. Um, and... I loved it. I mean, I, I loved being on the show. It was literally a boy's holiday, dream of a boy's holiday. Um, it, it, you know, there was times in the day where you bored, yeah, but you made fun. I mean, I remember I, I filled the condoms up with water and started playing water fights. You know, it was just <laughs> it's little things like that that probably as a viewer you don't see because there's an hour of a show, 24 hours of the day. So, you know, there, there were people on the show that had a 20, 30 minute episode and they were just lost their mind a little bit. And, you know, everything's intensified in there. So little things that wouldn't really affect you outside, affect you inside. And, you know, you might have a bad 10 minutes, say something wrong, say something you regret, but that's what's aired to millions of people. So whereas I come out and it was great, I had a, I had a great time, a lot of people from the show didn't. And, it's a, and it is a true misconception of them because they are real people with real lives, real family, real friends who have had a five minute wobble, which everyone has, but has been put on a platform and that's them now because that's on YouTube, it's on Twitter, it's on Insta, it's everywhere. And, you know, they walk around and, and go to the shops or on the street and they'll get hackled, they'll get people comment on their Instagram, they'll get tabloids saying this and saying that. And that's where, you know, the, the mental health side of things really kick in because you've got a lifeline, You're, it's what it is. When you sign up for a show like that, you've got a lifeline. Now in 2023, there's a Love Island every six months. I was lucky, I had a year. I had a year of like really taking the grips of what I could get out of this. Cause I didn't know what was gonna happen next year. Cause another Love Island's on, there's gonna be another Jack Fowler on the show. But what I did realize is whilst I'm hot, whilst I've got jobs coming in, I'm gonna, do something with myself that it doesn't affect me with another love, love bands on next year. Cause it's me. So that's where I started to do my DJing when I started my producing, my writing, because using the people that are now calling me to do this and to do that for this job and this job, they're great contacts that I would never have had without this show. So what can I do to not have the conversation about love violin with them, but then to go to the next conversation where it's something that's actually benefiting me. 
as a as a person. And, and was that driven by you, or were you support? So you come out, mm. you went in Jack Fowler, mm -hmm. you know, East Londoner. You come out, Jack Fowler, the celebrity, the yeah. icon, the, the the model, the role model, and all kinds of other kind of tags that that you were riding. How driven did you have to be by yourself or were you supported by the producers, the people who make this show? Or was you sort of the moment you walked out, left your own devices, they're now looking for the new Jack Fowlers and whoever it is in terms of the females. Were you left on your own to, to find these opportunities? Yeah, I'd say definitely to a certain extent, definitely. I mean, the producers um, offer you some sort of support when it comes to your mental health. They, they, they give you a, a phone line to, to call if, if you feel like you need to talk to someone. But when it comes to jobs and it comes to career, there's very few people that they would say, I, I would say they, they nurture. And for me, I wasn't, I don't feel like I was, but that wasn't going to stop me. And I think the mindset I had in regards to my football, to, to really focus on my football, to really be able to push myself in that lane, switched over into the lane I'm in now to better myself in this career that I'm in now. And there was many obstacles I had that were, you know, oh, you can't do this. You know, you're a love islander. You shouldn't be able to do this. You're a love islander. You're just a love islander. But I'm not going to stop doing something that I love and I think I'm good at and have a passion for because some donut on Twitter thinks I shouldn't do it because I'm from a TV show. Can it be that effective? Somebody Not to me, but to people, I, I, I speak to people and it does take a toll. Because if you're told one thing constantly, 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 People are going to start believing it in your own mind. You're still going to start believing it. Mm. But I think because I'm comfortable with myself, I know myself as a man and I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not good at. I know what I'm good at. So when I find something I'm good at, I'm going to dedicate it a hundred percent. And there were definitely uh, scenarios in my life actually that really stopped me from being able to focus on that. And you know, no, not many people know what actually happened here, but I, I had meningitis. I, I, I had meningitis, viral, uh, sorry, viral meningitis. After you came out of the After house. I come off the show. So this was like a year and a half after the show. And I woke up extremely bad headache. Like I thought I was on a come down or a hangover or something. It was just a really bad headache, but I couldn't see. Lights were really, really sensitive. And I ended up being admitted to hospital and they said, you know, you've got viral meningitis, but I'm on morphine, codeine, cocodamol, paracetamol, anti-sickness, everything. And my pain receptors in my brain are on, like not just on, they are on constant pain. How old were you? I was 22, 23, right, okay. which is prime time really for meningitis. I think it's, you know, very young, 22 to 25 or maybe 18 to 25 and then older generation, 60 plus. Okay. So I, I had it uh, in my young 20s and very, very painful. And it took me about two, two and a half, three months to really kind of feel like Jack again. And it was a really tough time, but it kind of gave me an experience that I've actually been able to now help other people with. I've, I've, I've done a, a, a lot of things with meningitis and, and bringing awareness to it because a lot of you know, uni students who move away from home for the first time, they go to university, away from their family. They think they're having a hangover. They're not next to their mom who can bring them a cup of tea or look after them, but it's actually meningitis. And they roll over, they go to sleep, thinking they're going to sleep it off. And some people don't wake up. Really? It's just, it's, really it's a serious just, that. How did you 
discovered that yours was more than just a hangover he headache? I called my mum. I said, mum, I've got a hangover. I'm not going to come round today. She went, son, um, put your put your chin on your on your on your chest for me, please. And I was like, huh? She goes, put your chin on your chest. And I said, I can't, I can't put my chin on my chest. She goes, that's a that's a telltale sign of meningitis because your glands and your neck is very stiff. I didn't know this. My mum said, you you need to go to hospital. So she met me at the hospital. I walked into the hospital. I collapsed. I woke up, maybe an hour later, in a bed. I had everything attached to me, everything. And it wasn't. If my mum told me. Didn't, didn't tell me sorry to do that, I would have rolled over to sleep. So it was, it was my mum's awareness that really actually saved my life. So as a family, you know, it affects everyone because there's bacterial meningitis, which people lose their limbs, their eyesight, their their memory. Is this is this genetic? Is it something that um, others in your family had, had, had suffered from? No, not, not my family. I think it's something that you can... It's a virus. You know, I had viral man, virus, you can attract it. And um, I think there's a lot of vaccines now to to help with that. And I think you do get it at university, but I never went to university. So I never got that. It might be wrong there, but I think you do get certain jabs when you go uni. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it affected the whole family for, for two, three months. And I finally got myself well enough to kind of get back on the horse and focus on what I was doing. Bear in mind, that's three months worth of work down the drain. And for me, at that time, I could only really rely on my Instagram because I wasn't out and about doing things because I was so unwell. And I was putting up things like, you know, I'm in Dubai, I'm in, I'm in Ibiza, living my best life. So to the followers, Jack's okay, he's cool. He's doing normal stuff. But the reality of it was that I was very ill. And a month after I kind of felt better, I woke up and I just couldn't feel my leg, my right leg. I just felt a little bit numb. And I thought, oh, I've, uh, I've slept awkwardly. Three, four days went past and the numbness went up into my chest. So my mum said to me again, like, you need to go and see a doctor. So we went and saw a doctor. This is after you'd recovered from this the meningitis? Just after I recovered from meningitis. And the doctors looked at me. I will never forget the way the doctor looked at me because he knew straight away something was really seriously wrong. And he didn't want to tell me what he thought it was, but he said, we need to do emergency CAT scan, MRI scan, all, this, like, all these scans. And he said, you need to come back here at 6 p.m. tonight. At this point, I knew something was really actually wrong with my body because I couldn't feel my body. I couldn't feel it. I come back, he's got the scans up, he's looking at my brain and there's a dark hole in my brain, dark spot. And like, I'm sitting, my mum's crying, bless her, because she's like, my son, there's obviously something seriously wrong with my son. And I'm thinking, he's about to tell me I've got cancer, brain tumor, anything. And um, he didn't tell me what it was, again, because he didn't know for certain. But he said, you know, we need to run more tests. And I've just done a load of tests for meningitis. I had a lumbar puncture because of meningitis, which is where they, you know, to find the fluid in your brain, they take the fluid out your spine. And the needle itself is, is long. So they took the fluid out my spine again, to find out what was going on. By which time I was paralyzed. I had lost all movement in my legs, all movement in my left arm. I couldn't feel anything from my chest down, but I wasn't in pain. My quality of life was just gone. My family are now looking at the house. We need to, we need to move house because how are we gonna put a wheelchair in here? Doors aren't big enough. You have no sorts of conversations before you, 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 you'd even really 
got to what the shadow was in your brain and yeah because even though which was even more frustrating for me i didn't know what was going on with me you go to the doctor they tell you what's going on they and they treat you you could but at least you know what's going on i was left in the dark not i'm not i'm not mad at the doctor for doing that because i would be it actually turned out what he thought it was was ms and, he, and, and it actually wasn't it was something called um, transverse myelitis and what is that Transverse is, is when something goes across, so transverse. And myelitis is, is inflammation in Latin. And what had happened was my spine, there was a small, small dot in my spine on the, on the scan. And it was inflammation that was caused from the meningitis. My body still thought it had meningitis and it was, it was attacking itself. And the reason why I was getting progressively worse is because the inflammation was getting bigger in my spinal cord, which was blocking the signals. He explained that to me, but it was no real diagnosis because we had to run these tests. So I spent weeks not knowing, but getting worse. I had no longer cut my food up. My mum had to do that for me. Dad had to do that for me. I could no longer shower. I could no longer clean. I could no longer put my clothes on my body. And this was something that was completely different to what I'd ever experienced an illness before. I just recovered from meningitis and now I can't move. Bear in mind, it may be a year before that, I was living the highest of highs after coming off the show uh, in Vegas. I was going Miami for one night. I was going LA. I, I was going to all these clubs all around U the UK, being being praised for being on this show and and, and loving it. You know, it, was, it felt really cool. Did your, your your fan base, your followers, people that, you know, journalists as well, mm -hmm. you know, celebrity mm -hmm. column writers mm -hmm. and that, were they completely oblivious to what you were actually experiencing in your personal life and that your parents and your brother and other relatives were going through and trying to figure out how we're going to get Jack back to the Jack we love and care about? Were, were, were all these kind of people who would often write about, you know, Jack this or put pictures of the, the fit-looking Jack, handsome-looking Jack, were they oblivious to this whole behind-the-scenes stuff that was going they on? They completely clueless. Is that because you and your family didn't share them share this story or is it because that was not the story to tell people because they wanted to keep this iconic image of this individual who'd come off the back of this sh successful show it was it was my decision not to tell or make it public okay um it was something that firstly i didn't even know what was going on so for me it was more about let's kind of keep the outside noise out and as a family, let's find out what is actually going on here. Because it's not only going to affect Jack's life, it's affecting the family's life. Of course. It's a private matter. Of course. And, and it was something that, it was such a big part of everyone's lives. I didn't want my mum to go and be at work, you know, in a quite a prestigious law firm. And people come up to her and go, you know, what's happened to Jack? You know, we just heard what happened in the news. Or my dad working, in, in, he works for rehabs and helping people come off drugs. You know, I don't want him to be around young people, which he works with going, oh, I saw your son, you know, he's not very well. I don't want that for mm. them. Mm. You know, I mm. don't want my brother where he works to have that. I don't, mm. it's something that, it was such a big thing. And I knew it would be a big thing because it's such a big thing to happen but not many people experienced that. And because of the story of Love Island, um, you know, doing what you're doing and suddenly, boom, meningitis, suddenly transverse myelitis, I knew the press would, would, would run with that. So 
you know, we, we, it was a very difficult time, mentally very, very dark for me, very hard, because I was always been such a fit person, football, four or five times a week, gym three, four times a week. So then having no movement in my legs, none. You obviously made a miraculous recovery due to, I've no doubt, the support of your family first and foremost. That gives you all kinds of mental strength, doesn't mm, it? Absolutely. And then the, the medical sort of provisions, whatever it is, the medication and the treatment by the doctors, I would say is secondary, although it's probably key to the recovery. Having people around you are telling you, reminding you that they love you, they care for you, gives you that strength even if you can't hear them. What, why now, though? And, and I know you've probably talked about this before, but what's the moral of that? story of of your life is it to make people aware that even when you are in the public eye like you were as this iconic figure who's you know living the life that behind the scenes there are other traumas going on that people are not i mean what's your moral to that story jack the the moral for for my story anyway is that you know social media is the highlight of someone's life it's not real and I remember going through what I went through. I, I said to my parents, I don't know if I'm going to get better. We don't know if I'm going to get better. Thankfully, I did. But in the times where I didn't know, I was documenting these things because I had no diagnosis. I didn't know what was going on. And I thought, I've got the ability with the platform I have from the show I've just come off to hopefully, if anyone else has gone through what I've gone through or something similar, they're able to take strength in what I've been through because I was in my room alone, not knowing what was happening. And so I took documentations of all my, every day, every day I was getting worse, documenting it. Every day getting worse, day getting worse. Then suddenly getting better, getting better, getting better. So I documented that, not really knowing what to do with it, because I just thought I'm gonna keep it. And hopefully, hopefully one day I'll be able to get a documentary out, whether or not it, it's, because some people are watching it because they've got transverse myelitis, which is something that a doctor will only see every hundred years. It's one of the rarest conditions. But there are definitely things in life that people go through who they feel like they're the only one, whether or not that's a medical condition or your mental health. I went through both there. So my goal was to show that Instagram isn't real. It's a highlight. And I can prove that. I was at the bottom posting things at the top. People commenting on my gram. You know, that looks wicked, man. So what you're saying to me is that at the time you were posting that you were in Dubai having a great time, you were actually in your hospital bed suffering from this, this yeah. condition. Why? Why did you do that? Because the pressures of my career were still going in my mind. You know, you I wanted I, people to believe that you were still living the life when you were really suffering. Yeah, because I, I did, first of all, I didn't want people to know I was suffering because I didn't actually know what was going on in myself. Right. But then secondly, I had brand deals. I had work that was bringing in me money, right? And at this point, I don't know if I'm going to have these brand deals again. I've got no legs to walk on. So I'm having to pull up a facade of, I'm okay. We're having a great time over here. I'm posting up here, there, bottles and looking great, modeling and gym. And, but yeah, the reality was I was in bed, no legs, couldn't feel, couldn't shower, couldn't clean, had to get help, mentally struck. And it, it, it's that that I really try and push out and I'll try and do more with it because, you know, there's, like you said, there's another Love Island on right now. 
But have you shared that reality with your fans? I mean, you've got over a million and a half, nearly mm. two million followers. Is, is that fan base aware of why you did what you did at that time in your in your life, and, and why you think it's important now, or, or or over the recent months, years, to to share why you went on that that path to save these deals or to give off a different charade of who you were and what you were doing? I think I think some people will take comfort in in knowing that I'm doing something to help with that because there are a lot of people you haven't got to come off a TV show to to make money out of, of Instagram but there is I feel like you have such a big platform you have a responsibility now at the time I was doing something that was best for me I feel like now it's 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 a time to really try and put out there that. Instagram and, and social media isn't something that it, it looks like. It, mm -hmm. there, there's, there's, Paint the picture you want. Is that, literally, li literally. And going back to mental health side of things, if you're having a, 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 a really bad week, a bad day or whatever, and things aren't going great, but you're looking at so-and-so and they're living the best life and you're comparing your life to that, mm. and, and you, feel, you know what, well, you might sometimes think, you know, why, why, why am I even bothering? Because my life isn't like that. That's what... That's what, you know, people, that's where I should be. You know, that person my age is, is got a Ferrari now and he's got a six bedroom house and he plays for so-and-so club and he's got the model wife and mm. I'm not there and I want to be there and I can't get there. So you know what, what's the point? And you can just deteriorate. Mm. I've, se I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. I know people that it's happened to, they compare and they deteriorate. But the reality is that person, that life isn't actually like that. Very, 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 very few people, 1% of people have that kind of lifestyle. And even then there's troubles that they will not let out on Instagram or social media. But yeah, it's the young people going on to the shows that I've been on or whatever. It just, I feel like they need to be more aware. Love Island wasn't the only reality program you were on, was it? I think you did, did I read that you went on to do a couple of other different types of programs, celebrity, I don't know, Big Brother, one of those other no, programs. I did um, uh, Celebs Go Dating. Which is um, yeah, it was, it, it's it's a dating show. It, it's not it's not as intense and it's not like Love Island. It's a completely different format. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I went, I went on to another dating show, um, which at the time was was cool. Why not? You know, it was it was um, it was keeping me in the public eye. I suppose it was keeping you on the screens. It was it was bringing in more deals. It's kind of separate you from you know just being on Love Island. It kind of gave you another step on the ladder. But for me personally. I don't really want to be known as that guy, that hunk or guy from Love Island who does dating shows and dates all these women. Because there's more to me than that. I know there's more to me than that. I don't want to be just perceived as someone who's on these shows to get a quick buck, to date these women and on to the next. So how have you turned that around? Because that's how your, let's say, public profile started and yeah. you've ridden that wave. Mm -hmm. you, you, you know, you've kind of exploited it in the nicest possible way I say that, exploited it to benefit yourself, you know, carve out uh, a persona of who mm. you are. How have you used it to your benefit today then? So you don't want to be known as that person, although you are that person that was on those shows. So how have you used those platforms to carve out the career that you have today? And what is that career today? So I, I literally sat there after going through all that madness, we went straight into lockdown. And I was like, oh my days, like, I don't know how long lockdown is going to be. I need to do something. I just can't sit at home and play PlayStation. I need to focus on something. So I just bought myself a pair of decks. I bought myself a pair of uh, DJ decks online, YouTube. 
hours every day, every day, every day, relentlessly, every day. And I thought music has always been such a big part of my life. I've always, going back to when I was six, seven, eight, all the way up to I was like 13, 14, 15, I loved my music. I was singing, I was acting, I was dancing. It was something that I just loved, but football took priority, but it was always a love. So I thought, you know what? I'm going back to what uh, the drawing board here. Like, let me, let me do something with my life that can benefit me financially, but also something that I love doing and take me around the world. DJing was perfect for me. I loved it. My dad brought me up on ska music, Motown, soul, <laughs> you know, Marvin Gaye, and just all, all, all that rich music that doesn't really have that kind of vibe anymore. So I thought, let me, let me put that into however long we're in lockdown now. Give me that focus. Because I had four months of just absolute hell. So I just sat down, started DJing, got better and got better. I started networking more. I was, I was starting to produce a bit more. I, I made my music. And then I just put something out on, on my Instagram, just a song that I did. And uh, an A&R, Alex Sparks from, from Island Records heard it. And uh, he contacted me and I was like, oh, this is, this is a bit, this is new. Like, I've never had a label hit me up properly. And he was like, no, I, I really like that song. I, I want you to come in and I want to have a chat with you. So I think, all right, cool. Let's this is do. something you produced during the lockdown period. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I literally started out, I, I, I started out and I networked with my people. Mm. I, I, I bumped heads with really, really talented people in the industry. And we went into the studio and we just, for about a week, two weeks, we just banged out these sessions, come out with this one particular one. And an island record liked it. They was like, we want to we wanna sign it. I'm thinking, wow, like if I look back on my last two, year, two years, because like, this is now after lockdown. So I'm thinking after these two years, I've, I've really, I'm proud of myself. I was like, you've, you've dedicated time, energy, money to do this. And there is a sign of progress here. Mm. And um, yeah, I, we, we, I signed my deal. I, I signed my record deal. I, I, I released and... You know, we, we, we've, we've not stopped. I mean, I've just carried on building my catalog. I released, I think the last time I released, I think it was 2021. So I spent the year of 2022 really just hemming in on my sound as an artist, my sound as not someone who just, you know, from Love Island and wants to try music and that's it. No, it's, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an art and it takes time. And do you think your your fans, and when I say fans, I'm talking about those that came to you originally from things like Love Island, have adapted to who you are? Or are you, are you I don't know, interested in a whole different audience now? Are you because you, you'll never get away from the Love Island stuff, and you happily talk about that as a as a part of your life because that's what it is. But you've owned that, you know, you've taken control of that, and you steer that the way you want to steer it, and and are in a position to comment on it when people are interested in finding out what life is like. Um, but do you have a new following who are interested in your new career as a musician, as a as a DJ? Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's people who are. I've, I've definitely hit a different demographic when it comes to to, to my following on Instagram. But there's also been people on my Instagram that have known me because of Love Island, and they're not interested in my music. That's fine. They're not interested. They just want to see Topless Jack on a beach, doing what people off Love Island would do, and that's cool. Do you think I could go topless with you and see <laughs> on, on a beach if I can get some of that? But what 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 interests me is that you mentioned that Instagram was something that you had to play at a time in your life when you were suffering the most, or at least physically, mm -hmm. mentally suffering, as was your family. Yet you still use it today. Um, 
as as a means to promote the work that you do and the person that you are and to reach out to mm. the audience you didn't shut it down and sort of say no 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 I, yeah, I, i'm the first to say that the show and coming off um the, the show and coming out to a you know couple a million on, on instagram is such a big thing like i i, I would be silly to 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 stop having that mm. because you know it's definitely helped me 100% and people will say you know oh you're only doing what you're doing because you got the backing and the platform to some extent you wouldn't know who i am if i didn't have that platform mm. so yeah mm. but that doesn't don't 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 categorize me mm. because i am someone who's put in the hours and i've worked hard and i know that because i know there's still so much hard work to do but i know i'm i'm a lot further than when i was when i started and i wouldn't be where i am now without the hard work so take me in as a as a as an artist and build with me grow with me because i'm growing and i feel like real fans as you were people who followed me from from the beginning they will be able to see the the progress in what i'm doing for sure and what's the end game and i know there's not an end game you're a young guy who's mm. still got lots of and could go in a completely different direction in 3 years time because somebody else hits you up for something else whatever mm. that may that may be you know who knows you could become an actor on a movie in one show and that takes you in a completely different direction there's plenty of time to change directions you know mm. i have changed like a chameleon on many occasions what what is the end game for you though or is this it this is your passion and if you could just ride out on the music that would be it I think my my end goal is to make music that people can really resonate with. I don't want to nowadays music is very much um TikTok, very much quick, very, you know, you've got 10 seconds of a TikTok and that's the 10 seconds of a of a song that young people in the clubs listen to and that's all they know. As a DJ now, I can I can really understand that music isn't just 10 seconds there's a there's a whole, there's a whole song there and i want to be able to make music that mm. people mm. want to listen to throughout like back in the day when it was vinyls you couldn't skip albums you was forced to listen to the whole album that's why you love the artist because you could listen from track 1 to track 10 their their story it's not track 1 to track 10 by chance it's put in that order because mm. it's a story mm. nowadays spotify apple music you can just skip I don't like that one I'll change mm. it. So your brain span as uh, when you're listening to music nowadays is so such so shorter. So for me I want to make music that people want to listen to. That's my passion. It's not ah oh, yeah Jack we skip that one. I want you to listen and and see it and feel it. Does, um, and what about your your circle of friendships? You, you you know because obviously before you became the Love Island Jack, mm -hmm. you were Jack who was in a football team and you had your teammates and and no doubt your childhood friends. Then you become this celebrity and so different people are approaching you wanting more of your time and there are agents and people wanting to get involved in your life and then you know all the other things that happened after that. Have you kept the same friendships or have your friendships kind of come and gone depending on where you are in your career at that time because i know when you're at the very top everybody wants a piece of you and then you, you know when they've had a piece of you or they've taken so much out of you they then start to wander off to the next person or whatever has that been your experience i think it, it i was very aware of of um my friends before i went into the show so i was very aware who who were my close friends and i was very also aware so i was also more aware when i left the show who was trying to get onto that friendship group and i definitely lost friends along the way and i've definitely gained friends on the way but i'm 
so close with my boys from home that they are the core of my friendship group. I will meet people in the industry and we might hit off and we might build a friendship, but the people from home are the ones that are my core value of people because they were there with me when I was in my suit and tie going to school. You know, they were with me from the jump and I, 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 I've grown with them as a, as, a, as a friendship group. And, you know, there, there's definitely times where you get used, like you, you use people and people use you. I, I'm, not, I'm not naive to that. I'm aware of that. And I don't take it personally either. It's, it's, it's a business. This industry is a business. So I think I'm, I'm quite tuned when it comes to my friendship group. I'm, try, I'm quite true, tuned to who's good for me and who I'm good for. And right now my team, for the first time in a long time, I feel like are really rooting for me. And I can feel it. It's not so much the words that they say, it's, 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 it's things that they do, that they are really rooting for me. And, and you know, massive credit to them guys, massive credit to Insanity, massive credit to Orbit, massive credit to Island Records. They are, I feel like they're, they're there for me. And it, it, it's, it's so relieving to have that. And, and it's encouraging to hear actually that, you know, because it can become bitter and twisted. I don't know the answer to this because like I said, I'm not a, a watcher of Love Island. Did you find love when you were in there? Was was that a whole story for you? No, not, not for me. Right. Not for me. Okay. It didn't work out that way. No. Do you watch the show now? I don't go out my way to watch it because I'm busy. Right. And, I'm, and and it's okay. on it's on at a time which is like nine o'clock at night and it's like I'm I'm in the studio, and I'm working on my stuff. But if it's on, I might just dip in and have a quick look because it's also it, it, so somewhat it's quite nice to kind of remember the times I had on the show. Although there's very different people and there's loads of different stories going on there, it's it's a part of my life which is such a big part of my mm. life. Like it it really is the main pivotal part of my life where, you know, if it didn't work out for me, I was going back to work. And I was working 12 hour shifts and trying to be a footballer. So the shift is because of that show. So I'm, I'm always forever grateful for the show. Um, but I, 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 I'm busy doing my own thing. And, and sometimes it's difficult to, to keep up. You still playing football? Here and there. I mean, it's different now. I'm playing charity games. And I'm playing next to Max Brannan or Danny Dyer. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's different. It's different. But equally, it, it, equally, it's, 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 uh, it's great. It's great fun. It's great fun. And, um, I miss it so much. I call this podcast Second Chance because I, I talk to people who have a second chance, don't have a second chance. W would you describe a second chance in your life at any point? Was it when you recovered from the the the, the illness that you were going through, whether it was meningitis or the second one, which I the transverse mm. um, condition that you had? What would you say it was the moment that you were asked to go on the television program? Or are you still waiting for that that chance in your life where you can say, you know, I'm, I'm going on that second journey now? I think... The, the main second chance I had was definitely coming off the transverse myelitis because the year building up to that, Raph, I was I was here, there and everywhere. I took 46 flights in one year. I went to Miami from Heathrow for one night. I come straight back. I was living a very, very fast life and I was not listening to my body. I was doing three personal appearances a week, two, three a week. These start at 1 a.m. They could be in Wales. They could be in Scotland. I was doing that. I was coming back. I was not training like I used to train. I wasn't eating because I was on the road. So there was just a lot that my body was going through of which I, I weren't listening to. And I think 
that transverse myelitis, meningitis, coming at the end of that, it was the second chance of me listening to my body. Because a lot of people who went through what I went with transverse myelitis never recover, never recover. And that's obviously a testimony to the, the strength of character you are. And it makes me think what you just said there, that because you were living this fast life and trying to fulfill so many commitments, mm -hmm. Did the doctors tell you that you were a cause of that illness? I mean, is this something that came on after your meningitis because you were working so hard? Because that in itself would yeah. be a lesson to people who aspire to be that Instagram success, to be that success that they burn themselves out and can cause themselves severe illness, if not mental illness as well. I, I don't know if meningitis was a, was a cause of me not listening to my body, but I do know that if I did listen to my body, I would have I would have looked after it a lot more, and from that I might not have had meningitis. Okay. So who knows? I don't know, but it definitely gave me the ability to sit back and go, you know what? You need to listen to your body now, Jack, because you're not living a normal life. You're not sleeping. You're not eating, and you need to you need to buck up your ideas here because who's to say that you know you have a heart attack? You could drop, you, you, there's people my age having heart attacks, I know, it's, it's crazy. And they're in the same kind of line of work of me. It's, it's long nights, not much sleep, rubbish food. So I'm aware of that. And I think it was that part of, of my life when I recovered, it was that, that was the second chance. Finally, what would your message be to that young audience or even that old audience who look up to people like you on Instagram or on social media and they want to live that life that you rightly said earlier on is not always what it seems to mm -hmm. be. What would your message be to those young girls and boys who follow your Insta or follow other people's Insta where it looks like that's the life I want, not realizing that behind that life there are consequences, there is some suffering as well as the success and the, the, the rich trimmings. What would your message be, Jack? Um, you know, I, I read a statistic and it was something like people, young, young people, there's more young people wanting to go on to reality TV shows and with a bigger platform than to go university. And I'm not surprised by that stat because I feel like it's such a quick thing that people want to do. But me, I've been there, I've done it. And if I could talk to a young person, I'll sit them down who want to do the things that you know, going on Love Island and a big platform. You need to focus on yourself first. Get your education and don't think that because, you know, Instagram is very bright and colorful and it's great, it's not real. It's an app. Don't build your life around an app. Focus on your real life. Build your friendship group. Know, learn about yourself as a person, what you want to do in your life. Because I think last year, Instagram or Facebook, it went down and no one could use Instagram or WhatsApp. I'm telling you now, my influence of friends were lost. They did not know what to do because that was their whole source of income, gone. Even though it was 24 hours, panic, like I've never seen panic before. Who's to say that doesn't happen again? For a longer period. For a longer period. So to the younger audience, you know, focus on your education, get your qualifications, and and really find a focus and go with it can you have both you can have both i'm not saying you can't have both but it's like like my, someone said to me one of my managers said to me when he was being a footballer he's like you need a backup 
you need a backup because not everyone is going to be a professional footballer playing in the Premier League. It's not happening. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a harsh reality. You need a backup. Don't not have a backup because when you need a backup and you haven't got one, it's, it's hard. Last question for, for me. I, I built my career around crime, criminal justice um, because of my own experience and because of the work that I do. What does the world of prison, criminality, mean to you? I mean, you talked at the very beginning that, you know, you could have gone down one or two paths had it not been for your parents who were quite determined to ensure you went to a better school than the school that could have caused you problems and that you had a direction in life. Your brother, you mm. know, aspired to become academic, you aspired to become creative and you both sounds like achieve, achieve that in different ways. But what does that world of crime, criminality, have you ever been to a prison? Do you know people who have ended up in prison or got involved in criminality? What, what do you think about that world? Some people are dismissive of it where they deserve what they get lock them up some mm. people are well you know with the grace of god goes me i could have been that person who was shoplifting what, what does mm. it mean to you do you care or not i do care i do care because there are people in my life that have unfortunately ended up in prison rightfully or wrongly they have and i think from the experiences of people very close to me who have who have been in that situation and have come out the other side of it as a, a as i would say as a better person it's somewhere that a lot of people think from an outsider looking in, it's just full of bad people. Now, by bad people, I'm not saying, I, I mean people who are internally very bad, very nasty, vindictive people. There's people in prison who are so smart, bright, and, and you know, have so much to give. They've just been caught in a position where they broke the law what seriously or not, they broke the law and they're in prison. So when someone says prison to me, you know, of course it's something that is not immediately a part of my life, but it's a part of my life on a wider scale because of people around me who have been there. And those experiences that they've had have, have, have guided me in my life to prevent me from going in there. So, you know, there's, there's people who actually come up to me and they're like, Jack, I spent, you know, four or five years in prison and you made me laugh so much on Love Island. You guys and you as a person gave me absolute, I only laughed once in that day and it's because of you lot. So like for me, I remember I was in Carphone Warehouse in Westfield Stratford just getting a new phone and I got a group of guys that I don't recognize, right? coming towards me, I'm thinking, here we go. Like, what's happening here? And they've all just put their arms out and grabbed me and hugged me. And I'm thinking, do I know you? <laughs> like, do I know you? And like, no, you don't know us, but we know you. And we was going through a really, really difficult time in our lives. And, and you you and, and the show that it was on made us feel like we were out there laughing mm. with you guys. Great distraction. So, yeah, and, and like... You know, it, for me, I never really thought of it like that. Mm. You know, I never really thought of it. But, you know, you really don't know the impact you're having on people's lives. That's that's another thing as well. You never know the impact. And you never know what people are going through either. And, and literally just having a smile on your face and saying good morning to someone can really actually help them during their day. 
Well, I'm hoping that this this podcast is one of those moments where people don't realize by just hearing you talk about some of the things you've talked about with me and shared with me that you've had an impact on them. If it's somebody who's suffering, somebody who wants to get on Instagram and make a success but not realize that behind that you can just be yourself. Mm. So thank you, Jack, for coming in and talking to me on the Second Chance podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Raphael. Thank you for tuning in to Second Chance Podcast. Your support is greatly appreciated and we couldn't have produced this podcast without you. You can find the YouTube video of this interview on our channel at Second Chance Podcast where you can also subscribe and watch more interviews with our guests. Share our episode with your friends, family and colleagues and follow us on YouTube and your preferred podcast platforms for updates on new episodes. Your feedback is crucial to the growth of our podcast. Please rate and review our episodes and let us know your thoughts in the comments section. We pride ourselves on producing high quality content and our team works tirelessly to achieve this. Audio editing is done by Audio Avalanche. Original music is by J-Row Productions. Cover design is by Studio Minerva and Sophie Warner is our social media editor. Kabir Lotto handles video editing. Kim Cullicut at Second Chance Podcast produced this episode and I'm your host, Raphael Rowe. Thank you for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.